0: In an intimate partnership, I think that one of the major reasons people don't speak up is they don't believe that things are going to change, that every other time they have spoken up, they don't really reflect on how they spoke up. They just go, I tried that. I tried telling him. I tried telling her. I've told him that. I've told her that. But what they don't realize is that they've usually expressed it in a way where they cannot be heard.
1: That was Amy E. Smith, and you're listening to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette, episode 142. Welcome to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette. That's me, the podcast that's filled with refreshingly honest conversations about the wonderful mess of being human. On this show, my guests and I are committed to one simple but powerful thing telling the truth about our lives. No one's here to sell you anything. No one's trying to get you to fix yourself or your life. I certainly don't have any magic answers, and I can't give you a miraculous 10-day six-step life hack plan for anything. Sorry, not sorry. (laughs) But as a recovering self-help junkie myself, I'm honestly so over that approach, and my guess is that maybe you are too. Maybe that's even why you're here. So no, that's not what this show's about. Here at Real Talk Radio, I sit down with athletes, writers, entrepreneurs, parents, coaches, adventurers, artists, activists, and many others, and we dive deep into meaningful topics. We talk about work, love, sex, money, addiction, friendship, racism, body image, mental health, grief, fear, courage, change, and everything in between. This is definitely an adult podcast covering adult subjects, often using adult language, so there's your little warning for that, and we never shy away from telling the unfiltered truth in an open and honest way even when it's uncomfortable. So with this mission in mind, you won't hear any ads or sponsor promotions. These honest conversations are 100% listener funded. How awesome is that? And that's made possible by incredible regular people like you who give $8 or more per eight episode season. The show is, and will always be free. But if you love it, if these conversations make you laugh, think, or just feel less alone, my hope is that you'll go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of $8 or more per eight episode season. When you get over to Patreon, you'll see our current funding goal. And when we reach that goal, it means that every single person who works on this show will get paid. That includes me and my sound engineer, Adam Day, as well as every single guest who comes onto the show because that's my vision, for each of our guests to be paid for the time, energy, honesty, care, and emotional labor that they bring to these conversations. The budget won't be huge to start with and will hopefully continue to grow over time, but higher rates will always be paid to our guests of color, as well as our queer and trans guests and others with traditionally marginalized identities. Being able to pay all of our guests has been a dream of mine for a while now, because as you've probably heard me say before, I fully believe that where we spend our money is a real-time vote for the kind of world that we want to live in. And if I want to live in a world where people get paid for the work they do, especially creative work, then that means it's up to me to create that model here at Real Talk Radio, even if it's definitely not the norm in the podcast industry. So please know that when you help to fund this show, you're using your money as a vote for a world of honest, judgment-free conversations. You're voting to hear more stories from a wide-ranging group of people, the vast majority of whom are women, and you're voting to pay those folks for the entertainment and education that they so expertly provide for us. When you support this show, you're basically just saying loudly and proudly that these voices deserve to be heard, and that no topic should be off-limits due to fear or shame. And as a special thank you for supporting the show, you'll get access to over 40 hours of bonus content, as well as our monthly book club, my weekly behind-the-scenes email series where I share my real life in real time. Oh, If you think it gets vulnerable and honest on the podcast, just wait until you start getting my emails. Plus, you'll be the first to know when tickets go on sale for Real Talk Live events and retreats. Also, 5% of each season's profits are donated to social justice organizations, such as Black Lives Matter, the Venture Out Project, and the Refugee and Immigrant Center for Education and Legal Services. So you can feel really good about that aspect of your pledge contribution to this show as well. Over on the Patreon page, you'll see that there are currently three different funding levels. There's an $8 level, a $16 level, and a $25 level, each with their own unique, awesome bonuses. At the $25 level, we even do live Google Hangouts together, and oh my gosh, those are so much fun. They seriously become something that I look forward to all the time. So once more, that's patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette. And at the very end of this episode, you'll actually get to meet one of our Patreon community members who joins me for a fun little rapid fire question round. So stick around for that after the main episode for sure. And now let's dive right into today's episode. Today, you'll get to meet Amy E. Smith. Amy is a certified and credentialed confidence coach, masterful speaker, and personal empowerment expert. Owner and founder of Joy Junkie Enterprises, Amy has an acute focus on helping people find their voice. She uses her popular weekly podcast, The Joy Junkie Show, to address issues of worthiness, self-confidence, and letting go of people pleasing to assist listeners in creating and living radically joyful lives. In this episode, Amy talks and teaches about how to be a better communicator in our romantic relationships a topic that she's recently studied and done a deep dive into. We discuss the power of finding your voice, not letting your silence make you a liar, why we're all so afraid of rocking the boat, the common blocks to speaking up for ourselves, and so much more. We also talk quite a bit about money, and Amy shares the mindset shifts and behavioral changes that have transformed her relationship to money, debt, and a feeling of abundance. Amy is one of my favorite truth tellers, and I hope that you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. All of that starts in just a moment. And as always, you'll be able to find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode over in the show notes at NicoleAntoinette.com slash podcast. Awesome. We are rolling. Amy, welcome back to the show. Hey, I am so
0: happy to connect with you over the next couple hours.
1: I'm excited too. You have the best lipstick game of like almost anyone <laughs> that I know. I feel like all pictures that I see of you, I'm like, those are my makeup goals. <laughs> How do I do that with my face? <laughs> well,
0: first of all, I wish I looked like my headshot all the time.
1: <laughs> I mean, same. Yes, same. I'm like, I my hair literally never looked that good as when I paid someone much too many dollars to blow it out for me. So
0: <laughs> It's 4.14 in the afternoon, and I have not brushed my teeth yet. So, <laughs> so I'll give you a little insight <laughs> into the facade of my lovely lipstick photographs. <laughs> oh, my goodness.
1: Yeah. I When you were saying that, I was like, have I brushed my teeth yet today? And I'm like, ooh, I don't think I have. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> we're having a good day on the dental hygiene front.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. But, you know, it's, it's really – That is such a great example of what we all deal with all the time, assuming that what we see online or, you know, everybody's Instagram photos of their perfect family vacation. that that's reality. (laughs) And it's
1: oftentimes not, you know. Yeah. Or it's. I mean, it's not that it's not reality because you are the person in those photos, right, for example, or that family did go on that vacation, but it's never all of everything. And it's not like we look like our headshots (laughs) 24-7.
2: Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah.
1: Yes. Um, So thinking back on this year so far, what's something that you feel particularly proud of?
0: Oh, man, I am so proud of myself because... (laughs) My husband and I made a pretty monolithic decision a few years ago that we wanted to move to the South. We wanted to move to North Carolina. And I have lived in Southern California my entire life and, you know, very accustomed to the weather and all of those things. And we really kind of knew that getting out of California, particularly the real estate racket, would allow us to kind of fast track our retirement and own multiple properties, you know, just be a little bit more happy and enjoy our earning years and all of that stuff that they tell you. (laughs) So we decided to kind of plan for it and we did. And what that ended up being is we started off by, having an all out bidding war on our condo. We completely manifested the buyer that we wanted and we wanted a specific number. We wanted a bidding war. We totally got it and tidied that whole thing up, took a vacation to Hawaii for 10 days and then got back. And as soon as we touched down, we saw the entire us for three weeks as we kind of drove across the country And we're able to experience a bunch of stuff that we really wanted to see and all of that. And then when we got here, we were able to kind of fully furnish our place and all of this stuff. Now, this all sounds like, wow, good for you that you have money. (laughs) But let me tell you that doing this whole trip and doing all of these things just a few years ago would have felt insurmountable and just completely impossible. We've come out of like $100,000 worth of debt. Um, We have seen each other through some really, really crazy times. And I realized probably in 2014 that I was having this like massive love affair with debt instead of abundance. So this entire culmination of the end of 2017 into 2018, kind of making the journey over here, changing our lives completely and really truly doing it on our terms has really kind of become a metaphor for how we want to approach everything in the future. So that has been something that, within just a really short snapshot of time, I feel as though my reality has completely changed and it's a hundred percent mindset. It's no, you know, massive stroke of luck or genius or anything like that. It really was shifting my mindset completely around how I felt about death versus how I felt about abundance. And I'm still working on it for sure. But I really felt like this particular chapter was kind of like, see, you got this, you got this. Um, and really was worth celebrating and being proud of for sure.
1: I'm interested in the mindset shifts that you were talking about, especially about debt and abundance. Is there any specific example you can give of what one of those shifts has looked like for you? Oh yeah, for sure.
0: I think one of the biggest pieces for me was being engaged with money exactly the same way as I would any other relationship. And if you think about, if I would reflect on how I engaged with money, it was extremely abusive. Like if that money was actually a person, that would have been an incredibly abusive relationship in two ways. One, verbally abusive for sure. Because I was always telling my money, you're not enough, you're not enough. Imagine any relationship, your parents telling you you're not enough, your spouse telling you you're not enough. That is not a way in which you thrive, right? And it certainly doesn't make money go, oh, okay, she wants more of it. Let's give it to her. It goes, okay, bye, peace out. I guess you don't like me that much. Meanwhile, I'm ha- I'm totally all up on debt and like, hey, debt. and acting like that's my savior. So there was really this mental shift. And the other way in which I was abusive was straight up negligence. So if we think about like, for example, child abuse, one of the major pieces of, you know, a child abuse sort of situation can be straight up neglect, right? Like it's abhorrent. We would never think of that being acceptable in any approximation. Yet we do it with our relationship with money all the time, right? We're like, I don't want to look at that. I don't want to. And I did it largely with my business and with taxes. Like I just, I don't know anything about it. I'm just going to neglect, neglect. And then would be verbally abusive like oh you're not enough you're not enough. So what changed for me dramatically in that regard is I started to separate the difference between how I felt about a specific situation and then how I felt about money. So the way I can kind of nail that home I guess would be an example of you know if if you have a child that colors all over the wall you don't stop loving that child but you certainly don't like the situation or Mm -hmm. the act. And so the energy has to be really appropriated. So for me, I kind of went, okay, I don't have to like that. I have medical issues that are incurring some bills. I don't have to like that. My refrigerator broke down, but it sure as fuck isn't money's fault. Money is the one who came to my rescue. Money is the one who's like, let me get you a new fridge. Money is the one who's like, let me pay your medical bills. Now, even in situations where it's writing taxes or things like that, I will speak to my money um, like it's a person. And I'll say, like, I'm so sorry, I have to send you to the government. It is a shitstorm over there. <laughs> I cannot I cannot thank you enough for going on my behalf so that I stay out of jail. And and you know, and so it's it's acknowledging that do I really love the scenario no of course not but my god money's keeping me out of jail money is coming to the rescue so it was really that sort of shift in not not directing my anger or frustration towards the actual energetic exchange of money if that makes sense
1: yeah and also those are such good examples and analogies i feel like even just (laughs) that like five minutes i'm like can i listen to that again right now (laughs) so i'm curious um I'm always really interested in how couples handle money together. I didn't realize you and I were going to be talking about money and now we're talking about money. So this is already my favorite. My my favorite things to talk about are sex and money. So like, here we are. Um, It was, so when you were shifting this mindset and thinking, okay, I'm going to change my relationship with debt, you mentioned getting out of debt uh, or, you know, paying off a, a certain amount of debt. Tell me what that was like in terms of your marriage. Were there like certain conversations? Were you guys on the same page? Is it something that you operate really differently when it comes to money? I'm curious about literally all of it.
0: <laughs> well, so I think my husband kind of got on board a little bit faster than I did. And it it all hit a major shift in 2014. He had a severe injury to his arm and he's a body worker, a massage therapist. And he was by far the primary breadwinner. And we were probably operating at like a 70, 30 percentage rate. Right? And so when he, and we're talking like an egregious break, like those kinds, when you see on, uh, YouTube, when it's like skateboard fails and their arm is like flying through the, you know, like mm-hmm. really horrible So he had a really severe injury, and when he had to be out of work, which was essentially our livelihood, and no savings, we were still paying down, uh, I think we were paying down at that time $60,000 worth of debt. And immediately when his accident happened, my thought process was, we we need to go get a, a personal loan we need to get some sort of line of credit. My thought process never was, what can I do to make money? <laughs> what It was more so, how can I rope in some more debt, which was really enlightening to me at that time. So even though we were dealing with something really challenging as far as his physicality and not to mention that his mother, his ailing mother came to live with us at the same time. 2014 was a shit show. Let me tell you. <laughs> Um, but it really helped me grow and largely in this financial arena. So at that time we recognized, Holy shit. If We have another one of these situations, which we will. We're all going to have hardship in our life. This is going to happen again. We are going to look at debt as our savior again. And so we both really kind of went, oh, damn, because (laughs) we were on a debt management program to pay off that 60K. We paid it off while he was out of work and rapidly accumulated 40 more in in loans in order to live. So we essentially were paying off the old debt with the new debt. And that was really like okay, what the actual fuck. So we started reading a bunch of different books and started learning about money mindset and relationship to money and all of those things and journaled and looked at childhood conversations around it and all of those things and we had very different beliefs. So his was actually a really common belief, which is, is, uh, it money makes you evil, right? Like money makes you a bad person. It makes you greedy, all of those things. So that was sort of his thing to contend with. Mine was that I'm not able to manage it, that it's too scary to manage and to have investments. And I just felt like it's for everybody else. It's not for me. And it's like, well, of course, if I can't manage a smaller sum of money, I sure as hell I'm not going to get more abundance. So those two things were very different for us in what we were grappling with. But he got really involved in budgeting and got on like a budget bandwagon much sooner than I did. And we've always had very separate finances. We've been together almost 21 years and that entire duration we have always had separate accounts for everything. Um, I think we have some joint savings, actually. But um, for the most part, I mean, we run our own businesses separately, all of that. And so we now it's a little bit different, though, because I've stepped into 100% Breadwinner while he starts his new business out here. So I literally write him a check for his monthly expenditures. And it's all broken down. And he rations it out the way he does. And we both have little envelope systems that we use. And at the beginning of each month, we kind of forecast any of the additional expenditures for that month. And it really has been surprisingly one of the more liberating aspects of all of this. I thought that a budget would be restraining and just not for me. (laughs) And it was the exact opposite. Because I would inevitably get to the very end of the month and be freaking out and like, oh my gosh, I don't have enough that I need for a prescription or to go out to dinner or something like that. And by forecasting all of it up front, I, was, I felt way more in control and like, oh no, I know what I can and can't do in order to be respectful of my money. And that was kind of another one of those principles that I adopted was, is this a respectful thing? to my money to just not know if I can pay for other things in the household, but I'm just going to go spend willy nilly, you know, is that if that was in a relationship sort of scenario, would that be a respectful thing to be like, I don't care what else you've got going on. Let me just throw you to the wind. (laughs) You know, Yeah. So there's a little story for you.
1: No, this is so interesting. Thank you for sharing that. Do you have, and I mean, I don't know if I even want to pose it as a yes or no question. Um, I was going to ask if you have any um, concrete money goals that feel exciting for you right now or anything that you want to share in that regard.
0: Uh, no, I don't actually. And that's, that's one of, it's so interesting that you asked that because I just recently have felt myself slipping out of my money mindset focus. And it really is one of those things that I feel like if I take my eye off of it for too long, it's kind of like you revert back to old ways of being. So even this morning, I was re-listening to different things that I like to listen to that help inspire me in a financial arena. I have a, kind of a a smaller one around a retreat that I'm doing, but nothing, no, nothing really that's like big and hairy and scary. And that actually might need to be something that I do. Thank you for bringing that up.
1: <laughs> well, you're welcome. Look at that. Solving problems I didn't you didn't even know you had. Um, <laughs> you mentioned uh, just a moment ago uh, things that you listen to that inspire you on a financial sense. Do you have any resources, whether they're like books, podcasts, things that you were like, this really helped me?
0: Oh, yes, definitely. Uh, uh, probably what cracked me open the most at the very beginning was Secrets of the Millionaire Mind by T. Harbecker. And that... The piece of that book was the journaling about messages you received from your parents, and that was really eye opening to me because I saw so many correlations between how I was raised and the messages I received about money, and then how that in turn really dictated how I engaged with money as an adult and in my business in my marriage and there in that book, there are some. There are some like little salesy things that I'm not the biggest fan of, but some of the principles I thought were really sound. And I'm also a huge fan of Denise Duffield Thomas. I'm sure you know her.
1: I don't actually.
0: You don't? Mm-mm. She she also is uh, very commonly is referred to as DDT, <laughs> Denise Duffield Thomas. And she does a lot of money mindset stuff. And she also introduced this idea to me around Not just what your parents taught you about money, but the messages you received in general about equity and about your worth and people you've dated, you know, how did they respond to money. Um, What were your friendships like? And so we started to look at maybe money messaging that I received outside of just my family of origin. And that was really illuminating because I went, man, I dated that one douchebag who (laughs) literally bought me one Coke during our entire relationship and never took me to dinner. And there was this huge messaging about what I was worth. Right. And I didn't realize that until I started working through some of Denise's work. So she, I'm definitely uh, an advocate for her work. And then, of course, You Are a Badass at Making Money by Jen Sincero is a brilliant book. I have written, uh, I guess I shouldn't say read it. I've listened to it probably about four times. And that's one of those things that I just have to kind of keep it on repeat to remind myself, like, because it's all mindset, right? And so that's so easy to get enraptured by a different set of thoughts. So,
1: yeah, yeah I think it's. Comforting and realistic and helpful. I know we're talking about it in the arena of money, but to hear you speak to this idea that just because you learn something once and it clicks doesn't necessarily mean that that just like remains the case forever. Like, I think when we talk about growth or change or any kind of transformation, there's this myth that it's in a kind of linear context or it's like climbing a ladder and you get to the top and then you're just at the top. And maybe that is true for certain folks for certain things, but more often than not, I feel like it's some kind of a constant cycle or spiral. Maybe maybe you don't go back to exactly where you were before but you know all of this messaging that we receive for so many years or decades or whatever like that's still in there somewhere and so yeah i like you, sort of what you're speaking to this idea of Uh, consciously consuming resources, media, that type of stuff that is in alignment with where you want to be and not giving yourself a hard time of like, why am I falling back into this trap? Like, well, because you're a human, right? And so it's like fine to sort of continue to do the realignment work that that requires. I think just like hearing you speak to that takes a lot of pressure off because sometimes I can get hard on myself of like, haven't you learned this already? Right. Whatever the, this is, I think that is pretty common.
0: Oh my gosh. I would say it's an epidemic (laughs) and it's one of those things that I like to say it's where self-help goes wrong and it's this idea that you will arrive and you will be fixed and you will be whole and it's not that at all. It is all this is, is a matter of habit period and it's not any different than getting into great physical shape, right? Like you could be a bodybuilder, you could run marathons and then you could decide to do jack shit. And your body will start to change and evolve based off of your habit. The exact same thing is true about how we speak to ourselves and about how we engage with self. Um, You learn the principles, right? And so it's also similar to if you've learned something, if you've heard something the first time, and then you go and you listen to it again, the second time. I'm, I'm thinking right now of I do a lot of home fitness. And so if I'm learning like a little like dance fitness routine, the first time I'm like, wait a minute, wait, what? Then by the second time I go through it, I'm like, Oh, Hey, this is starting to feel like a little bit more normal. And so it's easier to recover. That's what we're talking about. That's why it's important to continue to read books, continue to go to conferences, continue to surround yourself with like-minded individuals to continue to, Uh, invest in coaches or therapy or classes or education, because it's like watching that video over and over again and further cementing what you really want to believe. Because we're so malleable, we're going to move around and we're going to be subject to whatever we're inputting into our mind at the time. And so I can really notice a difference when I've been consuming maybe a little too many episodes of Kardashians and not enough you know Jensen Charrow and so i need to watch myself and go no wonder you feel like shit or no wonder you're more apt to compare yourself you're not doing the things that you know habitually make you happier and that's a constant process that doesn't it's not like okay you become a life coach and now you're never up a creek it's like no 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 you have to maintain just like everybody else um yeah, so I I mean it's so cliché to say it's not something that you arrive at, it's a journey, but it's true. It's about continuing that maintenance. But I will say I do think one of the things that increases as you really consume personal development is your resilience. And I think your ability to see what's happening or your ability to notice, "Oh shit, I'm totally comparing myself to somebody" or "Oh, Damn, I'm really speaking negatively to myself about my body or about my work. You're you catch it faster, and so sometimes things that might have taken you out for a couple of weeks, maybe just have you down the dumps for two days. So you're a little bit more resilient, I think, uh, and more have more of an ability to recognize. Oh, okay. My situation sucks. I don't
2: suck.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree with that more. I was funny. I was just talking about that with my therapist this morning. Shout out to Jessica. Hi, Jessica. Um, we were talking about, uh, and it was funny. So, at the time that you and I are recording this, I'm very soon uh, going to be leaving for the PCT for a long hike, and I've been noticing the closer that I get to it, the more fear I feel, which is really normal for me. The closer I get to a bigger thing, I start to have anxiety dreams, and then I start to fall into different kind of like self sabotagey type behaviors. It used to happen to me when I was running it's happened in work stuff like it's just it's like a common pattern that I work on and I like I said to her it's so funny that I the difference between now and you know I don't know maybe three years ago four years ago before I started doing a lot of this work is that I notice it when it's happening virtually in real time like that I like see myself wanting to lay on the floor and like eat cookies and watch Grey's Anatomy and not do any of the things that I'm like supposed to be doing and there's nothing wrong with laying on the floor and eating cookies and watching Grey's Anatomy but like I know that I'm not necessarily doing it for like the best place when it's happening. And even that it's like the recognition of it in real time is something that I never would have had, you know, five years ago, six years ago. And so, yeah, what you're speaking to makes so much sense that it's not like these things never happen again, or you never say mean things to yourself, or you never feel jealous, or you never compare yourself to strangers on the internet or any of these things. It's like that you do the work, like you said, to be more resilient, to not have it like take you out. So maybe I watch Grey's Anatomy for four hours instead of four weeks, (laughs) you know
2: what I mean? That's right.
1: Whatever. Yeah. I think that there's... There's something comforting in that. And I think it's like, it's almost the unsexy truth, right? Because we want to get to this place where it's like, everything's amazing. We've reached the mountaintop. And no, like the reality of growth, I think is a lot less sexy than that, but can also be really awesome.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. And one of the ways that I describe it in my work is that you're learning a new management system because I do think that with such a strong influx of new coaches and personal development, really being on the rise. There are a lot of people promising happiness and promising, like I'll take all your problems away. And it's not that it's not that it's, I'm going to teach you how to manage your shit in a way that feels wildly more empowering. (laughs) But people don't buy that right people are they're like no 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 i need i need to be happy and so there's sort of this push pull there i think as an entrepreneur in this space of like how do i really set people up and let them know that yes this is possible but it's a management system it's a way to maintain what you want in your life. It's not an arrival point.
1: Mm -hmm. So I'd love to pivot a little bit and actually talk about your work. Before we started recording, you mentioned a new course, either that you had recently finished or recently made. That was a relationship oriented. And I would love to hear about that.
0: Yeah. So when I first started as a coach, God, over 10 years ago, I was very relationship focused. And a lot of that stemmed from my relationship with my husband And I felt like there was a lot of stuff that really made sense to us and worked well and that I could basically articulate and share with people. And for the longest time, I did that and then got really kind of frustrated with it and was like, no, I need to kind of switch gears so it had been quite a few years since I had really delved into the relationship aspect again, particularly around communication. So something that's really evolved in my business over the last couple of years is this idea of speaking up for yourself and your ability to actually communicate to people. So, and, and I feel like communication is so unsexy, but it really is those things of, like telling your family that you don't believe in the religion that you were raised in, and to please stop asking you to come to church because you find that offensive, or to ask your your adult child to move out of the house and let them know that there will be legal repercussions if they don't do so. Um, it's the ability to stand up to your mother in law and say, "Please stop feeding my my child that sugary drink. I'm not I'm not on board with that," and actually following through. So it's how to actually have conversations with people. And do so in a way that's really graceful and really kind from a place of love and compassion. So that's what I had been doing for the last handful of years. And I realized, my God, there is a shit ton of this stuff that is so applicable to actual romantic partnerships. Because there's this weird dynamic that happens, I'm sure you can totally relate, where we are wildly more polite to total strangers than we are to the people who we swear we're in love with (laughs) or you know who are our siblings or our closest confidants we tend to be a little bit more snide and snap you know snappy with them and more abrasive than we are with strangers or the person who you know dyes your hair and you're like oh my gosh that's really not the color I want how do I go about saying this right (laughs) um is very different than if you are dealing with a partner who you feel is controlling with your finances or who you want to share a little something about what you do not like in bed and you need to express that. And so many people will choose silence because it's just too fucking terrifying. So I decided to craft a course specifically for romantic partnerships to teach them the skills necessary to actually communicate with one another. And I did a ton of research on it and kind of immersed myself in the study of it for quite a few months and curated this program. And a lot of it has to do with emotions and shocker, (laughs) like pretty much all of our conversations with one another, Don't just involve emotions. They're essentially about emotions, right? It's about how we feel. If we're upset that our partner is always leaving their shoes out, it's not necessarily about that presenting issue. It's about the root issue of that speaks to me that you don't respect me or we make up a story about it, right? Like, Mm -hmm. oh, that must mean you don't value my effort. And that's, that's an emotional response. Right? We're not just pissed about the shoes, we're pissed about what that means to us. And then we usually communicate out of our piss-offedness. And that oftentimes lands on deaf ears. So um that's just been something that's been incredibly fascinating for me to discover and to study because it's very scientific. It's here's how adults tend to respond to information, period. <laughs> um so no wonder what you've been doing isn't working. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I'm super interested in this, I mean, in communication in general, but yeah, specifically specifically in our closest relationships or our, our romantic relationships, because I agree with you. I think that like fear leads to a lot of silence around this type of stuff. So my first question is, what do you think or what have you found are some of the most common blocks to speaking up for yourself, whether that's in general, like you were sort of talking about a lot of your work centers around that, or specifically in relationships, romantic relationships?
0: Ooh, um, I think they're actually different. Um, I think that in, if I, if I were just saying speaking up in general, I think that there's two massive barriers. Uh, one is if I give voice to something, especially if it's in direct opposition to somebody else, then I am purposely inflicting pain on somebody. And that's really that notion of I'm responsible for other people's feelings, right? Which is a fallacy. We cannot control anybody's feelings at all, but we're kind of conditioned that we can. Or that by speaking up, that says something about our our character, that I am a bitch, I am a dick if I give voice to something that somebody else doesn't agree with or might find offensive or might be hurt by, like asking for a divorce. Um, so we, we make up that we are responsible for that. In, in an intimate partnership, I think that one of the major reasons people don't speak up is they don't believe that things are going to change. Hmm. That every other time they have spoken up, they don't really reflect on how they spoke up. They just go, I tried that. I tried telling him. I tried telling her. I've told him that. I've told her that. But what they don't realize is that they've usually expressed it in a way where they cannot be heard. They have not addressed it in a kind, assertive, soft manner. They haven't been collaborative. They haven't tried to understand their partner. They've been reactionary. And all of that is incredibly intuitive. We are naturally going to defend. So if we feel that our partner is, you know, accusing us of something, it's natural for us to be combative and it's always unsuccessful. (laughs) So there's this piece of like fighting that natural fight or flight that we, that comes into our relationships when we feel wronged in some way. So there's definitely a sense of working with sort of our primitive style that we will naturally want to defend and it just doesn't work. So I, to answer your question, I think they're, they're two different things. Mm -hmm. I think we could also put an umbrella around all of that that says it's fear, right? It's fear of really being seen. It's fear of not being liked. Uh, it's fear of, uh, abandonment. So I think a lot of times that keeps us quiet and keeps us in paralysis.
1: Yeah, I I mean, I I totally agree with that. So from the research that you did and what you came up with, do you have a favorite either tip to share or a favorite thing that you love to teach when it comes to how to communicate more effectively? Oh my gosh, there's so many. There's so many.
0: Um, One of the things that I, I got from... I believe Dr. John Gottman, who is a pioneer in the field of relationships, is that human beings, and he was actually a a scientist first prior to getting involved in psychology. He found that human beings will not make change, any type of change, unless they feel understood first. So we can really see this in our political arena. Because we do not try at all to understand one another. We only cast blame. And we can also see the results of that. Complete division, complete stalemate, both sides digging their heels in with zero movement, zero willingness to collaborate, and a shit ton of blame. Just pointing fingers. You suck, you suck, you suck. And we can do that exact same thing in relationships. So let's say um, we take something as superfluous as driving fast. You think your partner drives too fast. So if we cast blame on that person and just say, you drive too fast, like that's just it. I've created that as a definitive stamp of who you are. There's zero understanding about why that person might drive fast and there's zero curiosity to even find out what might be happening for them. They might feel totally controlled by you all the time. And so they feel like the only time they have control is when they are behind the wheel. <laughs> so, but we don't do that. We don't look to understand the other person. We just look to size them up and to put a stamp like, "No, you are you spend too much." or you want sex too much, or you're too handsy, or, you know, you baby your mom too much and you need to stand up to her instead of going, Hey babe, talk to me about what's behind that and really understanding one another. And that is, you know, the cure for that, the antidote for that is the skill of curiosity is to really look at What might be happening for that other person? A great way you can use this, even if you're not partnered, is any time that you cast judgment, any time that you size somebody up, any time you judge them for their appearance, you want to get snippy back with the waiter who is a little bit snippy with you. In those moments, I go, wait a minute, what is behind that? And get really curious, what happened for that person's life that they showed up to their job and they were rude to me? right? Like it gives you so much more expanse, uh, than just digging your heels in and, and being so tied to being right. And, um, and that's been a huge place for, for me to grow too. Cause I love to be right. <laughs> Who does not Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I would, I would have to say kind of the, the understanding piece, another, another huge element that I love from Gottman's work too, that I infused in this program is this idea of turning towards one another, turning away or turning against. And a lot of time, I mean that's basic fight or flight, right? Fighting is turning against your partner, making them wrong, hurling accusations, being critical, turning away is the cold shoulder is usually fleeing, right? It's the flight I'm not, I'm just going to ignore you. I'm not going to talk to you. Turning toward is when you are turning towards your partner, even if you disagree, even if you don't want to have sex at that moment, it's having an ability to connect and create shared meaning with your partner even if you aren't allied, even if you aren't on the same page about something. So the way that that would look is if your partner suggests, uh, let's go to this concert that's happening on Friday night. And you are like, fuck, I would rather pull all my teeth out than go to that concert, (laughs) right? And so the, the response is typically like, uh, either ignore, right. Or that's dumb. No, ew. I'm not going to go depending on the nature of your relationship. Turning toward an example of that would be like, gosh, babe, I, I'll be really honest. That's, it doesn't totally excite me, but I really, really want to stay open. Are there any, any other bands that you're interested in hearing or seeing? You see what I mean? It's, it's an ability to turn towards them, even though you don't agree. It can be the same thing if they're initiating sex and you are not into it. You can still turn toward not by acquiescing, but by saying, I so appreciate your reaching out and I feel so desired by you. So thank you. And I cannot get my head in the game right now. I'll be really honest. That's turning toward. But we don't do that most of the time. We turn away or we turn against. So it's those small little changes in dealing with opposition because that's when we get really crazy (laughs) with our partners is when there's opposition.
1: I'm curious if anything that you learned through doing this research wound up impacting your own relationship. Cause like you said, you two have been together for quite a long time. So, and obviously had strong enough communication that that was something that you worked on like or t- teaching early in your coaching career. So I'm curious if even after all the time, even after having, you know, strong communication and a strong relationship, if there was something that came up that either you put into practice or that shifted things for the two of you.
0: Oh my gosh. Yes. Quite a few. In fact, we, we, We got into uh, a fairly, uh, I wouldn't say a big argument, a significant argument during the time that I was teaching the live version of this course. And we employed all of the tools that I teach, and it was still painful. And we were able to still turn toward one another, and we've been referring to it as the great cockfight of 2018. (laughs) (laughs) So I'll tell you, it actually... Literally involves chickens. So one of the reasons why we wanted to move to the south was the prospect of having significantly more land so that we could eventually have more sustainable living, maybe have a a goat for some goat's milk, have some chickens for some eggs. And my husband grew up on a cattle ranch and his family were were cattle ranchers by trade. He was used to herding. He was used to branding. He was used to them being here one day and then being in the freezer the next. And so his assumption was we would have chickens that we would actually consume and eat. And so we're out having date night and this topic comes up and I'm thinking, Oh, yeah, we're going to have chickens for the eggs. No chickens are going to be murdered on my property. (laughs) That's not going to happen. I barely can handle killing a bunch of bugs in the house. (laughs) So I'm like, there's no way I could handle that. And so we get in this conversation. And he's like, well, you don't have to kill them. I'll do it. And I was like, what? Like, you're the type of human who could actually do that? And so then I had a bunch of judgment. That came in. And so what we realized was, okay, this is a really volatile, emotional conversation for both of us. He felt like his character was being attacked because he's a little bit more live off the land than I tend to be. And I felt like I didn't even know my husband. I'm like, really, you could really do that? Oh my God. And so I was sort of devastated by that. So then we decided timeout, like, and this is one of the things that I teach all the time is if you cannot say what you need to say in a kind way, you have to table the conversation. You have to have a timeout. So we, we had walked to the restaurants. So we were walking back home, just totally in silence. <laughs> and we ended up having a really, really great conversation about it, where he said, you know, I grew up in a, in an environment where we were taught that these animals were to be revered, and that they were here for us in order to sustain our life, and that that is not something that you take lightly. Um, and and then he really pointed out my hypocrisy of, you know, you're okay just grabbing free range chicken at Trader Joe's, like that's okay for you it seems like it would be so much more humane for us to know the process. And so I had to tell him, like, I get it. I so get it. I agree with you that that is incredibly um, hypocritical. I'm what, What's there for me is, and, and this is a bigger thing at large that I'm grappling with, which is the consumption of animals, period. But, you know, I cannot see it. And I cannot have an, an animal that I'm feeding one day and then the next day I'm eating. And so that whole conversation has really pulled up for me a lot of just introspection about how do I view this about consuming animals anyway, period. Um, so it's pushed it's pushed me in a lot of ways. But our ability to navigate that, which could be incredibly polarizing to a couple, because it has so much to do with that emotional aspect, how you feel so strongly about something and just, oh my gosh, broken heart. And the ability for me to really listen to him and for him to really, really listen to me and understand and not make wrong was huge. And I don't know as if I would have been as open to hearing his perspective had I not been doing all of this research and knowing that if I wanted to be listened to, (laughs) then I needed to also listen to him. Um, So yeah, it was, that's the, the great, cockfight of
1: 2018. <laughs> That's such, so funny that you guys have a name for it. There's been a couple of things from everything that you've said that have really stuck out for me. One, this idea of working to let go of the need to be right. I can completely relate to that, for sure. And, you know, that and then also our tendency to tell ourselves stories about the other person's intention or, you know, like what you said about that it's not just about the shoes, right? That we make it into meaning something that maybe it doesn't even mean at all, right? Like essentially putting words and meaning in the other person's mouth that might be the complete opposite of what the truth is and the importance of being curious and actually understanding. Like there's so much in that that I think is super helpful. I mean, for romantic relationships, but just like as communication tools in general. And I'm curious because you mentioned a couple of different examples that had to do with sex, I feel like just in conversations that I've had with friends, like I said, sex and money are my two favorite things to talk about, that someone or a couple maybe, um, or people who are intimate together, maybe they have really great communication about a lot of other things. And then some for somewhere along the line, it seems like sex is the thing that the rules change or that like, hey, we can talk you know, really openly and honestly and effectively about all these other things. And somehow that doesn't apply to, like you said, hey, I don't really like that in bed or whatever um so i mean i know communication is just communication but is there anything in there that you want to speak to of like things Mm. about communicating better about sex because i know it's one of those things where like it's not different and yet it seems in practice for a lot of folks to be different if that makes sense
0: yeah i completely agree and i i think there are people who deal with this in other areas too like it's everything's chill except money Yeah. Or everything's chill except parenting. (laughs) So I think everybody has their kind of hot button topic in their relationship. Here's, here's the deal with anything is there has to be a starting point to say, I don't know how to do this, but I know we need to talk about this or I know we need to figure this out. And it doesn't have to be verbal. You can text it, you can email it, you can write a note. You can do whatever your baby step is. Now, of course, I'm always going to advocate that you actually speak to each other. But that might feel like going from A to Z in your relationship. Some people are at a point where they're just cohabitating. They're not even really in relationship much anymore. So this idea that this huge cathartic conversation about sex is going to happen might feel wildly unrealistic. It might have to be a small, small baby step of... Hey, I'm, I'm really wanting to have a conversation about this. And it might have to be through text. Um, but I think that's different for everybody. And it's really about finding that line between what step can I take that scares me, that does feel a little bit vulnerable, but I do feel like I can do it right? Like it has to be like, okay, I'm going to psych myself up, but I can do it. Then that's your step to take. If it's like, oh my God, no way. Okay. Then we need to find a smaller baby step. Um, But the conversation needs to open up somehow, whether it is, hey, uh, what would you think about just sharing our thoughts on it? Or what would you think about reading a book together or seeing a couple's therapist together or, taking an online program like this, which was great for a lot of people because there was so much anonymity for them. So I think that there's a lot of solutions, but what everybody kind of has to know is if you keep doing the same goddamn thing, you're going to get the same results. So something has to shift, even if it is a small, tiny invitation to your partner to open this topic up. And you don't have to have any of the solutions. You don't have to know what it looks like and if you really stand from a place of I'm bringing this up because I value you and because I value us and you look at it more through the lens of I want something magnificent for us in this sex arena, that is very different than we need to talk or Mm -hmm. like we need to discuss our sex life. We need to do it. You know, well, what the hell is, you know, and you come from a place, your startup is a really harsh startup where you're, Almost coming from an accusational place of the inference in your voice is almost if you weren't such a dipshit, we would have normal sex <laughs> or we would have a great sex life. So coming at it from a, ver- a vulnerable place and just saying this is really, really uncomfortable and hard for me to say, but I'm doing it because I want something bigger for us. And I, I really, really care about you and I care about this piece of our life that part alone, the vulnerability part is usually the most fear inducing for people, but it's also the most effective.
1: Yeah. I love that. I love also what you're speaking to that it's basically just about starting somewhere. You don't have to have the perfect solutions, even naming the fact that, Hey, this is probably going to be really uncomfortable or we're kind of stumbling through this. So just like letting it be messy, I guess, if it has to be. And the reiteration of it doesn't necessarily have to be a let's sit, you know, across the table from each other face to face, like, and have this conversation out in that way. Like I, I, it brought to mind when you were talking, I have a friend who in a previous relationship, like her and her partner used to have a lot of their hard conversations over email, or at least like as a, starting place because it lets you, you know, get your thoughts together and say it the way that you want to say it and then lets the other person sit with it for a little bit and then respond back. And there's something to that that I think is easily ignored or easy to undervalue as like it doesn't count as much as communication. And like hearing you mm-hmm. talk about it, I feel like it's like that the exact opposite is true, that there's lots of different ways to come at a hard subject. And obviously just, that was just using sex as an example. Cause like you said, for some people it might be money. It might be parenting. It might be religion. It might be, you know, whatever different people have yeah. different sort of hot button things, but being able to like, let it be messy and let yourself be vulnerable, not have the solutions, except that maybe they don't have to be huge solutions. Like even the idea of small steps, I think can be helpful because sometimes we think it has to be a burn it to the ground, you know, sell everything, move to Bali example. And maybe it is, or maybe like a 2% change in one direction is enough. You know, it's like, we don't give, I think often the small steps there do.
0: It's so on point. True. It's so incredibly true. And, and then there's also this thing where we see people that we're learning from or teachers or you know, therapists and we go, oh, well, they've got all their shit together. How could I ever have that? Or easy for them to say, or, you know, and we don't, we really negate the baby step because I'm two decades in, like this has taken a minute (laughs) to figure out and we've also been nurturing it for that long we've been having tough conversations for that long in fact we know that a majority of people will remain completely unhappy in a relationship and not say a damn thing about it for six years before they actually do anything say anything about how happy they are or start having those tough conversations we never did that. I was like, no, no, no. But I I'm not I'm not like that in my life, period. I'm like, I've got an issue with that. <laughs> so speaking up was something that I kind of I had to temper and actually finesse so that it was kind, because <laughs> mine would be a little bit more abrupt and a little jarring and I wasn't getting my intent across. But all of that to say, it is really important that you're compassionate with yourself about where you are and where your relationship is and where your partner is. You might be dealing with somebody who learned to shut down their emotions as a child. That's not somebody who's going to just be able to open that floodgate. They might have to have some real gentle nudging from you. The other thing that I wanted to to mention to your point, Nicole, is, the, uh, is this idea of having code words or code phrases for things that, or even gestures that are tough conversations, right? So if it's really hard for you to say, you know, I, we really need to talk about the situation with your mother-in-law or your mother, or we really need to talk about how the holiday is going to happen. Maybe you have, you call it my big fat Greek wedding conversation. Like we need to, we need to have a little chat about, the big fat, great wedding, and that's your little code word for family conversation instead of it coming up off in a way like we need to talk about your mom or something mm-hmm. like that. We're not sure where you could use something that has a softer edge that's a little more playful, maybe cloaked in fun. Um, you could have gestures, things you do with your hands, or you know, little dances that you do, or Things that you hold up or pick up that symbolize, like, I really want to get a piece of you if it's too hard for you to initiate sex. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can get really creative based off of what is a comfortable baby step for you in whatever whatever topic we're talking
1: talking about. Yeah, I love that. Before we pivot a little bit onto a different subject, is there anything else about kind of these romantic relationships, communication, this that we've been talking about that you wanted to mention?
0: Ah, man, I think it really is kind of a similar thing with with all things personal development. And it is this, we are not taught this stuff. Most of the time in romantic partnerships, we have gathered our information from the media, from our parents, our family of origin, what was modeled for us, and our series of relationships, whether they're successful or not. And that really gives us our education about how to communicate. And the same is true for personal development, right? Like we don't grow up learning what it's like to contend with fear or being told that we're innately worthy and we don't actually have to prove ourselves. We don't learn about negative self-talk. So If you are at this point, no matter where you are, no matter what age you are, and you're just starting to learn this and and kind of clue in, recognize that everything in our lives typically sets us up to fail. So the idea that you're even taking a step towards creating a new reality for yourself, please apply to yourself. Please, please, please. Please. Give yourself some credit that you're taking some steps to improve that relationship. Because how the fuck would you know? How would you know? None Mm -hmm. of us
2: do.
1: Yeah. I know. I feel I think about this all the time of like, man, why wasn't I taught any of these skills?
0: (laughs) I know. I'm I know. I totally think we need to do this in schools. I just do not want to be the person to do it. Yeah,
1: that's fair. (laughs) So another element of your work and things that you talk about that I really like has to do with the arena of letting go of people-pleasing and of our tendency, I think, a lot of us to be highly invested in the opinions of others. So I'm curious – And this might be like too big of a question, so anywhere that you want to take it, but sort of where you are with that right now, because as we were discussing, and as you were speaking to earlier, any sort of growth process, any personal development is not a straight linear shoot to the top, get to the destination. Now I'm done, right? Type of situation. So since that's something that you've been working on and teaching on for a while, I'm interested what that looks like for you now. Hmm.
0: And like my investment in what other people think kind of thing.
1: Yeah, I guess. Or because I think that that's a really common thing of being, you know, like I think even the phrase people pleasing, right, is thrown around a lot. People either connect with it or don't. But this idea, um, you know, that I I think I've heard you write about or speak about of just like being highly invested in the opinions of others. I think that's wildly relatable. And Mm -hmm. so just, yeah, and anything in there that you want to talk about.
2: Hmm.
0: I'm trying to think how... You know what's interesting? Okay, so this is what just came up for me. What's really it, one of the ways that I've noticed caring about what other people think, and I think it's very tangled for me with the pride piece, is that we. That your first question for me is, I find that I want to tell everybody in my life, <laughs> in my family, that I'm the primary breadwinner. <laughs> like, I want... I want it, to me it's more like accolades. There's not really anything that I am not open about or I hide myself from, but I feel that there's a piece of my ego that is like, "Hey, look how cool I am." Hey. Hey. Express your your how impressed you are with me. And in that sense, I do feel like I've gotten it, it, caught up in what is admirable and, um, worthy of praise kind of. And, you know, then the compassionate side of me goes like, calm down, honey, you just had a massive transition. You're, (laughs) it's okay for you to adapt, you know, but to the point of the resilience, I'm so glad that you pointed this out because I'm kind of like, okay, yeah, I really have been pulled even in this interview. That I want to be like, look how cool I am. <laughs> and in essence, like if there was no audience, if there was no person hanging out with me, you know, listening to what's new in my life, I probably wouldn't give voice to that at all, right? So there's definitely an investment in what that must mean about me or what that must say about me. So that might have to be something that I, I tweak a little bit. Thank you, Nicole. Um, <laughs> Uh, But I think this is also really important too, to, to kind of underline what we were talking about earlier of like noticing how things show up for you now. And also why I think it's so important to, to not go like, Oh yeah, I've heard inner critic stuff or, yo, I've heard other stuff about fear. Oh, I've heard relationship advice. It's like, well, no, how does that apply to you today? What do you need to do now to shift that? So I think, I think there. It's also easy to look at all of the ways that I'm not invested in what other people think, you know, and I'm really glad you asked that question because I'm like, no, you know what? I'm fallible as well. And there's definitely times that I'm caught up into that also. And it's also very primitive, right? Like we needed to belong in order to survive from our ancestors. So, you know, there will always be a pull to belong and to want to be liked, I think the recognition now is, is that detrimental, right? Like we don't need to be liked in order to survive the way we used to. Like it does not mean impending death. Um, But we still act like it sometimes. Like, oh my gosh, if they knew that I felt this way or had this opinion or didn't like this, that or the other, what would they think of me? And I think the first step is unpacking that and just Mm -hmm. looking at it and being honest.
1: Yeah. The reason that I like this topic so much is because I think it's one of those, like this idea of people pleasing, right. Or caring about what others think. I think it's easy to paint it as a black and white thing. Or, you know, you hear people saying like, well, I don't give any fucks. I'm like, that literally can't be true. Like, I I mean, I, 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 I don't know that I have ever met someone who literally doesn't care what anybody thinks. Like, I can't imagine that that's even a healthy psychological place to be in. I guess it's not really my business to know that, but that, so it's, it's not a one or the other, right? Like either I don't care what anybody thinks and I'm never a people pleaser. And I'm not like, that doesn't seem like the end of the spectrum that I want to be on. And the, uh, the complete other end of the spectrum of everything that I do is about external validation and people pleasing and like not wanting to say no and any of that. Okay. Well, that doesn't feel good either. So then. And what does it look like? And I think this is true for a lot of personal development stuff and why I think some of it falls flat is that it is so much about that middle ground of, okay, I do care what people think. Sometimes it's ego related. Sometimes it's because those are actual folks with whom I'm in deep relationships and their opinion yes. matters to me. So it's like, how do I let that be true without only doing things for external validation that it's it's like more complicated, I think, than um, it often seems in like sound bitey things. You know what I mean?
0: I could not agree more. Yeah. And so what, 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 we're talking about is if you literally do not care, that's sociopathy, right? That's the absence of the ability to empathize. Like I genuine, genuinely cannot care. So I'm, I think that there's a distinction and yes, I agree with you. I think there's things that are meme worthy and, you know, very sales, sales bite, you know, or what am I trying to say? Sales snippet or like whatever. Um, where we think oh i i'm with you i'm the whole zero fucks and i think that there's a piece of that that's really empowering to the person who's used to living like a doormat and so it does become a little bit of a rallying cry like oh wait a minute i could actually give no fucks okay maybe maybe i do need to adopt that in some regard so i think i think it's it, it really could be semantics truly but i think at the nucleus of all of this, what it is really about. It's the idea that my wants, opinions and needs are just as important as somebody else's. It's one of equity. It's not one of a hierarchy. And especially when you're dealing with um, people that you're genuinely connected to, right? Like it's of course I'm going to be attached to what my husband thinks. Of course I'm going to care what my best friend thinks. I'm intimately connected with them, right? Like we have a rapport that would be asinine to think that I wouldn't care what they have to say. Of course I do. But I think we all have a hierarchy, right? There's people in our soul tribe or people in our Immediate vicinity who we consider worthy of helping us through our our shit and that they're fallible too. like sometimes they get it wrong, sometimes we get it wrong and that's okay. but I think it's more truly about the statement of worth like that my opinion matters. and even though you know let's say my husband is, is happy in this relationship, it's okay that I'm not like that's and I'm not that I'm not saying that anecdotally for my relationship, I'm just saying hypothetically. If you're, you know, if you're coming out of the closet, let's say, and it's going to destroy your parents, what they feel and what you feel matters, right? So it's that ability to go, okay, I am not purposely inflicting pain on my parents, or I'm not purposely inflicting pain on my spouse. I'm just saying what I want, what I believe in, what I care about also matters. And no one is going to fight for that except for me.
1: I think that's so brilliant. It's funny. When I'm just a sidebar, once uh, when I'm interviewing and doing these, I take a lot of notes. And, you know, one of the things I do is I write down different timestamps of just like things that I want to return back to. I literally just wrote down the timestamp for this and like circled it 12 times because I felt like you were just like speaking directly to my soul that this, this idea, um, of, prioritizing everyone else's needs and comfort over your own i think that's also really relatable i mean maybe not everyone maybe that was too polarizing of a statement but you know even what you just said anecdotally oh my husband's really happy in this relationship and I'm not. And I think it's really easy to go down the path of what's wrong with me that I can't just be happy with this. This other person yes. is happy with this, or, you know, this is what my parents want for me, whether it's a job choice or, you know, whatever, what's wrong with me that I just can't want what they want or that this, like, I think that it, it brings up, and I know that, you know, worthiness is something you've mentioned a couple of times and is you know, a part of your work as well, this is sort of the interplay between like feal- fearing that you're not enough and then also fearing that you're too much. Much. like what's wrong with me that my needs and desires are so big that they can't be met by this existing situation that's something that i've been thinking about a lot personally and has come up in a lot of different conversations so i think that that's really relatable what you're saying
0: oh my gosh i have so much shit to say about that
1: <laughs> good go go for it
0: <laughs> because i feel like those it's it i feel very strongly about emotions right and i feel like emotions get such a bad rap in our culture in america in particular and what you are speaking to is how you feel, right? Like if we're talking about that kind of proverbial child who wants to come out of the closet, they feel something. There's a desire. There is a sadness of stifling that the person who's in an unhappy relationship where they feel guilt, right? There's an emotional current. If you are feeling any type of an emotional current, it is messaging. It is just like any other form of pain. If, I have pain in my knees. It's my body going, "Hey Amy, pay attention. There's something going on here. You might need to tweak that workout. You might need to use some balm. You might need to stretch out." Right? It's I don't I don't go like, "Fuck you, knee pain." I go, "Oh, okay. Good to know." Same is true with uncomfortable emotion. If you're feeling stifled, if you're feeling overwhelmed, depressed, that's not something wrong with you. That is something trying to talk to you, to say, pay attention. There's something going on here that you need to address. Emotions are not good or bad. They are just messaging. That's it. So I think one of the other kind of pieces about this idea of putting other people in front of ourselves, and really what it is, is it's, it's saying everybody else is more valuable than me. Right? And switching that and going, no, 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 we're all valuable. We're all valuable. And I believe that I am worthy. Right? And then what happens is that gets to inform your choices. So that doesn't mean that if your partner wants to go to, for dinner and you want to go to Italian for dinner, that by giving into that person, you're saying, oh, you are worth more than me, right? We can still have an overarching way of being where we believe in our value. And then we can choose self-sacrifice when applicable. But the whole point is so that it is a choice. It is not a, I must acquiesce. I must do what they want or else I'm not valuable, right? It's that contingency. Like my self-worth is contingent on them approving of me. So that's another kind of piece. It's not that like you become this massive selfish person. It's that you are an empowered person who can be really mindful of how much you are able to give. Because I will tell you what, people who are Perfectionists and people pleasers, and always consumed by what everybody else thinks, are some of the most inauthentic people (laughs) because I have no idea who they really are because they're always just telling me what I want to hear. And they aren't happy and they are totally at their wits' end because they are doing and doing and doing and doing and doing for everybody else. And it's a rat race that we can't ever get to the other side of we can never hit that finish line because there's always somebody else to impress or to prove yourself to so if you change that barometer of like we all matter and I matter and if it comes down to a serious issue where it's like I either choose you or choose me I'm gonna choose me right Mm. like and most of the time, though, it's not that sort of an issue. Uh-huh. We're, not, we're not talking about I either choose your religion or my religion. Most of the time, it's not that. It's just the ability to say, hey, I, th- I thought that was a little bit offensive. I'd appreciate it if you don't bring that up in my company. It's those little sorts of things that say, hey, what I think matters, and I'm going to fight for it.
1: Yeah, you're bringing up the piece of this whole, you know, letting go of people pleasing, not caring as much about what other people think that I always want to talk about and that I, maybe I'm just not looking in the right places, but I feel like is never talked about of then that sort of like the what comes next, because I think it's easy to envision the like, I'm going to use my voice, I'm going to speak up for myself, you know, and again, in this sort of like binary black and white sense of, okay, well, that means I'm like never going to take shit from anybody. And okay, but what about compromise, right? This idea of like, you know, and obviously you Mm. brought up the, the Thai food versus the Italian food, which I think it's good to use kind of a. Small everyday example of what you were saying about that—it's a choice then to acquiesce versus. I'm not being very articulate, but I—I I think there is something of this idea, or it's easy to get a chip on your shoulder of like, well, I'm never going to say yes to something that I don't want to do, and so like I kind of get stuck a little bit in in this place of how to stand up for yourself, how to you know. Uh, like, assert your worthiness, I guess, if that's even the right phrasing, like, versus where necessary compromise comes in. This idea that, like, n- well, not saying yes to things you don't want to do. I don't know, like sometimes that's just not how things work. And I feel like this is totally just like a selfish kind of rant, I guess. But I sometimes have a hard time and I can't be the only one to differentiate between like what's something that I'm – what's the hill I'm willing to die on versus what's a compromise that I am more willing to make. Does that – I don't know if that makes any sense. Totally. Yeah.
0: And you know what? This is really why this whole speaking up for yourself thing or even – being invested in what other people think thing is not all or nothing. It's not at all, all or nothing. It's about a consistent way of being. So there are times when I consciously choose to do something I don't want to do because of something else. Like I'll give you an example. Um, I, there are certain people in my family that it's just genuinely not that fun for me to connect with them and hang out with them. And a majority of the time, I'm cognizant of that and I limit my interaction. However, I don't completely eliminate it. Why? Because that's not really the human that I want to be, right? Like there really isn't any like toxicity or abuse or anything like that. It's just genuinely not my cup of tea, right? So there's nothing egregious like that. I just wanted to put that out there because I do think that that is that warrants staying away from people. Um, but I show up in those relationships because that's the woman I want to be, right? Like that's who I want to be in those situations. So there's a way in which you can kind of look at who do I want to be in this scenario? You know, like, do I want to come to my friend's rescue? Even though I sure as shit do not want to help them move. Like, you know what I mean? It might be like, do I really want to do that? Not really, but I want to be that friend for them. So then you get to kind of decipher when it's a healthy choice for you and when it's not. So you might have that situation where your partners or your friends really up a Creek, they need you to help them move. So you decide because it will not stress you the fuck out, you go, you know what? In this scenario, I'm going to choose to be there for them because you know what? I have the time. I'm available. It's not. doesn't sound like fun, but that's the type of friend I want to be. Now, there's other situations where you have have a million and one things on your calendar. And you know that if you say yes to one more thing, you are going to snap, you're going to have a breakdown. You're going to yell and scream at your kids or your husband. Those are the situations when it's a different choice. When you go, my God, honey, I would love to be there for you. And I would love to be able to help you move. I know that if I add one more thing to my plate, I am going to completely lose it right? Most of the time we don't do that. We go, sure, totally. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And we just come to that person's rescue. So I think to what you're saying, it's about acknowledging that each and every scenario is a choice and a decision in and of itself. And you also have to really look about your overarching consistent theme of behavior. Are you always a yes man at the sacrifice of your happiness? Or are you deliberate about what you say yes to? There's a distinction there.
1: Yeah, being able to take that moment of pause and even just sort of get curious with yourself about why am I saying yes to this, right? Because like in the helping your friend move example, if it's a conscious choice, it feels very different than this like frenzied thing that I said yes to because I felt like I had to and then you wind up getting resentful and passive aggressive about it. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's right.
0: And then you gather evidence, right? Like, so once we make up a story, like, oh, they take advantage of me. This happens all the time in relationships this assumption of intention. Oh, they take advantage of me. And then you look for more examples of that. And then all of a sudden, the relationship's having a hard time or the friendship's having a really hard time because you've made up that they're a taker, right? So always you have to look at your role in the matter. What are you tolerating? What are you not saying that. (laughs) they could really use that information. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, So I'm curious though, how did that land for you? Like, do you feel like,
1: I answered your question. Oh or- yeah, I mean, and I, I'm so much of what comes up on the show. I feel like is not like a. I'm not looking for you to have the capital A answer, right? It's just I'm interested in how your brain thinks through this thing that's kind of sticky, and like everything that you said makes complete sense. And I think there's there's just something that's comforting too, even in acknowledging that there isn't a capital A answer, right? Like I think I- that sometimes. That in and of itself is a place of overwhelm and struggle of like, what's wrong with me that I can't just figure this out, right? That it's like looking at each different example or situation or decision. And I think that there is, I don't know, I think even this idea of people pleasing has a really negative connotation, I think. And so I think that we're all really quick to want to not take on that label. Or maybe, again, maybe I should just speak for myself. Like there is something in that that it's like, well, I do I, – I have no problem saying no most of the time and I do feel like I have really strong boundaries and I don't feel like I'm a people pleaser or something about that doesn't feel good to me. And yet when you're talking a lot of these things, I'm like, huh, okay, well, yeah, maybe that a little bit. So it's like just like letting it be more – nuanced right and being willing to sort of dig into that and how you behave in one relationship might be different from how you behave in another relationship and just like asking yourself those questions of where you are speaking up for yourself and where you're not and where because I think at the heart of it we all know what it feels like when our needs aren't getting met yeah
0: absolutely I use kind of a statement or a mantra that helps me decipher when and if I should speak up and it is this, do not let your silence make you a liar. That is, that is what keeps me on the straight and narrow. So that, I'll tell you what this looks like in the application. I was doing some community theater and one of the, the kids that I was working with, I say kids, but he's 19 or 20. He shows me a meme from Facebook or something, uh, that was supposed to be funny, but it was incredibly disparaging about a handicapped child. And I was incredibly offended by it, but it was presented to me wrapped up in a package of collusion, right? Like, Hey, aren't you going to collude with me? And like, Haha, isn't this funny? Ha ha. Right. Like where it's so easy to mirror that same energy and quote, not rock the boat and just be like, Oh yeah, that's hilarious. And then like walk away. Whatever I said or not said during, uh, it's, during that time, I wanted to make sure that that didn't make me a liar. So that does not mean that I have to get into a full-blown fucking conversation. All that means is that I need to be clear about where Amy stands as it, as, uh, it relates to that specific topic. So I said, you know what? I actually kind of find that offensive. I'd appreciate it if you didn't show me stuff like that. And I walked away. I didn't get involved in big conversation. I've done the same thing with my brother. I've done the same thing with people asking for money outside of a supermarket. I'm like, "I actually don't believe in that. So sorry. Much luck to you." <laughs> you know what I mean? Where I'm like, "I can't get behind that organization and, you know, no, I'm not going to buy your candy bar. I think it's bad for me." You know? <laughs> like whatever it whatever it happens to be. I think um I think it's about Really, truly making sure that what I say or what I don't say doesn't make me a liar. Another example, I had a house cleaner that did not work out and I was fully ready to tell her all of the reasons why and she didn't ask. So I felt like, okay, sweet. I, so I just said, unfortunately, we're not going to be able to continue services. And she was like, okay, cool. Totally understand. Sweet. Done. If she had, I think she implied that it was financial and it wasn't, uh, but she didn't ask. So I don't think that there are situations where you have to elaborate, but I do think it's really important that you speak up for yourself and you say what's really there um, and to do it in a way that's really kind and you don't have to. Engage in a full on conversation. Like I said, you know, you can just be like, oh, that's not going to work for me. Bye. (laughs) Um, So for me, that's an integrity piece. It's about like, have I said something dishonest or have I allowed somebody to think that I agree with something that I do not
1: Yeah. I think something that you touched on about this idea of the fear of rocking the boat is so, so common and I think is a lot stronger of a pull than maybe we wish that it was. This idea that, you know, Especially, I think almost especially so in more casual interactions, right? Like it's just very easy to laugh along or to not say the thing or to like. There is just this fear of, like you said, that okay, well, I'm going to be the only one in the room who you know says this or thinks this, or that there is. There's definitely a fear there, and I think even just acknowledging that is very real.
0: Yeah, and they have a responsibility for what they're saying. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's like, I used to use this analogy all the time. Like, let's say you're working in a, a retail environment and somebody, a coworker, you see them take money out of the cash register and put it in their pocket. They turn to you and say, you better not fucking ruin this for me. All right. That is a classic example of somebody saying something that's polarizing And then you feeling like, oh my gosh, I need to be responsible for everybody else's feelings about this, right? In that theft situation. It's like, how about you don't do dumb things in front of me that put me in an uncomfortable position, right? Mm-hmm. So the same is true for any sort of conversation that you're getting into. If somebody's talking about religion, if they're talking about politics, myself included, you are responsible for what you are saying. So if we just accept responsibility for everybody else, No, 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 no. That's not how it works. They're responsible for what they've said. And with that may come commentary, may come opposition from other people. Your responsibility is to give voice to things in a way in which you're proud. For me, that kind of trajectory of how I spoke up started with me being really combative and very adversarial. And I had to really finesse how I spoke up because... It was so abrasive and incredibly ineffective. So I had to learn sort of the poise and the grace of saying, you know what? I actually am going to, you know, politely disagree. Sometimes that's all you have to say. That's it. And for me, again, it's it's that integrity piece. I don't want, like if somebody were to watch the scenario on a television screen and they knew how I felt, And that I didn't, you know, like if I could voyeuristically watch the scenario, would I be proud of that girl? No, not if I'm quiet.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's such a good, that's such a good piece. I love this idea of like not letting silence make you a liar. (laughs) It's like, oh, it's so good. So when you're talking about that, um, what I hear coming out is that honesty is something that you really value. What are a couple of other, of what you would say are your core values?
0: Oh my gosh. Well, there's definitely a huge piece around grace and kindness and they've become sort of a tandem word uh, that I use in my practice all the time. And it's, it's this idea of grace and kindness paired with assertiveness. So you can say the really tough things, but cloak them in being a really genuine, authentic human Um, a lot of times we misunderstand what our motivation is, right? So when you were talking earlier about not necessarily liking the moniker of people pleasing, it's probably because you identify more with being compassionate, being loving, being thoughtful. Um, you know, where we, that's where we get sticky is when we genuinely love being of service to people and we love helping others, and that's usually when you have to come to terms with when am I overextending myself, right? Like mm-hmm. when, is, when is my thoughtfulness and my compassion really fulfilling me and lighting me up? And when is it actually stealing and stifling my joy? So, and I have to watch myself with that as well. Some of my other values, I have a handful of them. One we talked a little bit about at the very, very beginning. Um, and this is just personal value, versus my business values, uh, grace and kindness is definitely a part of kind of the business value. Personally, I have a huge value around adornment and decoration. One of the reasons why I'm always in bright lipstick, um, all of my notebooks and planners and, books and things like that are like the most decorative that you can find. And my house is fully decorated and I love doing my nails myself. And I, you know, all the things around ornate decoration is just hugely lights me up. I could wrap gifts for hours and hours and hours and just do the perfect crease and do the bows. And I love art and creativity. Um, But yeah, there is definitely a huge value around honesty and authenticity. And I definitely have one around order and organization. Like I love things to be tidy and color coded and organized and planned out and, um, pretty methodical when it comes to that. Um, yeah, there's a handful I could keep going. (laughs)
1: No, I I love this because I feel like this is almost this sort of like tying up thread that's been going through this conversation of this idea of getting really, I don't think we've used these words before, but getting really clear about like who you are and what's important to you and what does it look like to be in integrity, you know, and then how that extends to the way that we communicate with ourselves, how that extends to the way that we communicate with, you know, our partners or anyone else that we're in relationship with this, like the, what you said before, I think is really going to stick with me. If I was watching this like situation or whatever the situation is on videotape, like what I'd be mm-hmm. proud of that. Am I, because we all know what it feels like when you walk out of an interaction, whether it's, you know, at work, you know, in a one-on-one thing, in a group thing, there's so many different examples I'm sure of you walk away from it and it doesn't feel good. It feels that it's a, like icky feeling. And the icky feeling is I wish I would have behaved differently. Right. And like, that's honestly, I feel like that's like one of the worst feelings is like, like, when I'm laying awake in bed, feeling like I'm really not proud of actually the person that I was back there. And that of course happens, we're human, but there's something in that of like, how can you continue to make choices and orient yourself to lessen the times in which that happens?
0: Yeah. You know, this is, this is interesting because I've actually, so, okay. So the antidote, the answer to that is if you are able, you circle back and you make it right. Like you circle back and say, hey, you know what? I think I gave you the wrong impression back there. Now, if it's, you know, uh, somebody who waited on you, let's say, at a restaurant while you were traveling, that might not be realistic for you to go circle back. But if you can, I would. I would actually use that as what I like to call the do-over, declaring the do-over. I'm going to go. Tell them I think I was misleading, or I think I came across in a way that wasn't as authentic as I could have been, or was misleading in a way. And that is not about caring about what other people think necessarily. It's about cleaning up how you showed up for you. And I've had a couple of those situations that I can think of where. I behaved in a way that I wasn't proud of. I circled back to two different scenarios and apologized. And they were like, what? What are you even talking about? Like, they didn't even know. Actually, I can think of another one, a third one (laughs) with my brothers that I was like, oh, I need to, I really need to apologize. And sometimes it makes people uncomfortable because it's incredibly vulnerable. And I'm like, hey, I'm sorry about that. (laughs) Um, All three times people were like, what are you even talking about? I don't even, I don't even remember. And that's was even more of a confirmation that that was about me. That was Amy needing to feel good about Amy. And that's it. Regardless if they were like, yeah, that was kind of shitty or whether they were indifferent or whether they were grateful and excited. Their reaction could be all across the board but again, you're responsible for your intention, not your reception. That's another phrase that I say all the time. I can only control who I'm being, my intention. I cannot control how it's being received all over the place, you know? So the other solution or idea is for you to walk through in your mind, either voyeuristically, if you were to watch the scenario again. Or, you know, through a written medium, what would you want to do differently? How do you want to consciously decide that going forward, here's the way Nicole's going to behave going forward. Here's the way Amy's going to behave going forward. If another scenario arose like that, here's the new game plan so that you kind of go, okay, brush yourself off, declare the do-over.
1: Yeah, I've definitely done that, those kind of writing exercises of, okay, if I'm in this situation again, here's the two things that I want to do differently. Or, and I, but I, and I think that what you're speaking to, and maybe this is a good place to start to wrap up, is this idea that all of this stuff takes practice. Like these are essentially (laughs) muscles to build and skills to acquire and that, I think part of this idea of, you know, the necessity of speaking up for yourself and that being really difficult is often because I think that it's always, not always, it's often focused on the really big things. Like you have to stand up for yourself in this like really extreme scenario. And sure, probably that's true. But how are we ever expecting ourselves to do that if we don't practice it in the small ways of the, hey, actually, I think that meme is offensive or, hey, you know, that it's, I I like your, the way that you framed some of these things as stuff that can be practiced practiced in small ways over time in lots of different conversations and situations. And this idea of like, if I want to be a person who, you know, acts like fill in the blank, whatever that is for anyone that like, what would it look like to practice and live that in really small ways and not only expect that we're going to behave the way that we want to behave in the really big, important situation? Because if we haven't been doing that all along, I think that it's foolish to think that we would do it like when it quote really counts.
0: That's right and again, this comes back to the baby step situation. I would say two of the easiest pieces that almost everyone can relate to is telling your hairstylist what you really think, or if you want more cut off, or if you want more, you know, or the color isn't right, you've got to do that. Or sending food back that wasn't what you ordered. Those are so small, but if you are an incredible people pleaser, or please start calling yourself a recovering people pleaser. (laughs) If that's a real hard thing for you, like you never want to rock the boat, start with those two elements. Where are those situations where you kind of go, Oh no, no, it's totally fine. It's totally fine. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Or you opt to stay late. You're always the one volunteering to stay late. Don't do that anymore. Just don't say anything. Maybe if you tend to be more combative, work on your, Tone of voice, work on how you say those things, work on being a little bit more compassionate or working to understand the other party. Um. Yeah, so those might be a couple yeah. small
1: things, and paying attention to like where it shows up because the uh, examples you gave about you know sending food back or telling your hairstylist like those things would be no problem at all for me, right? And right. yet I think back to the time in the not like super super distant past when I was like, you know what, I'm not going to fake an orgasm anymore. That's not something that I'm going to do. And like I've had this conversation with friends since, and like that. Is totally. I mean, there's. This could be a whole other conversation. I'm sure, but like that falls under people pleasing for sure. You oh my know, gosh, that's a good one.
0: I never think about that because I've <laughs> been partner for so long. Um, but yes. Oh my gosh, that's a great example. Please don't do that. Don't. Nobody do that. That. <laughs> We need to demand... Okay, I'm not going we'll, we'll <laughs> to. We'll do, do another gonna.
1: episode. That's all about <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, okay, so the way that we uh, wrap these up, which you might remember from last time, is with um, a series of rapid, fiery questions. Essentially, all eight guests this season are answering the same seven questions if you're down to answer seven random questions. Let's do it. What's one activity that you can always count on to make you feel good? Ooh, uh, kickboxing.
0: I just started uh, I'm actually going right after this interview. Um, I joined a kickboxing gym and it has been so fun.
1: Let's fast forward five years and you're talking to your future self, or I guess rather your future self is talking to you. What advice does this future self give you for what to do right now?
0: (laughs) The first thing I got was invest in the business more, invest, hire more people,
1: Oh, there you go. It's always good. Well, I feel like whatever the first thing comes up is always indicative of something, right? Oh, super helpful. <laughs> Who's one of your favorite people to follow on social media?
0: Oh, uh, Sean King is a
1: political activist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think I follow him too on Twitter. I think Hmm. what's one thing that helps you when you're feeling really overwhelmed and stressed? marijuana. (laughs) How do you typically spend the last hour of your day? So the hour before you go to sleep, what are you usually doing?
0: Um, I, uh, I'm usually smoking. I I usually will have a little toke and I usually am hanging out with Mr. Smith with my husband usually right before we go to bed.
1: Do you guys have any like nighttime bedtime, I don't know, wind down routines or anything? Anything that you do where you're like, okay, it's bedtime now.
0: No, we we do have a pretty <laughs> strict <laughs> bedtime. We try to go to bed by 10 every night, but really our rituals are are more so right after he gets home from work. So we've got like a little I have a couch in my office that we call the debrief couch and he gets home from work and we just kind of talk about our days and we have a couple things we do in the morning. But after that, it becomes like decompressed. Like we can just zone out and kind of let go of the day. Uh, but yeah,
1: yeah, no, no major ritual in that at night. So the next question is about books. Which two or three books, any type of book, any genre, would you say have either had the biggest impact on you or that you find yourself recommending or rereading most often lately?
0: Oh, my gosh. Well, definitely, You Are a Badass at Making Money, Jen Sincero. It's on repeat all the time for me. And most recently, The Relationship Cure by Dr. John Gottman, just amazing for relationships.
1: So the last question, if you could leave our community, the listeners, with one call to action, what would it be? Maybe a question to ask themselves or a small action to take?
0: Mm, let's see. I would say get some sort of consistent you time on your calendar. I feel very, very intensely that the things that are of most value and of merit for you are either on your to-do list or on your calendar. If you want to know where your priorities are, look right there. And if you're not on any of those, it's likely that you're not getting to that book that you really wanted to get to. It's likely that you're not taking that class you really wanted to, or learning that language or whatever it is that you really need to do for you. I highly advocate getting you time on your calendar, even if it's like I'm journaling every Tuesday morning, or I'm going to take this personal development class online, or I'm going to start this new audiobook series, or whatever it is where it is specifically allocated into your schedule. That really is the only way that we can create sustained change, is if we create habit. So make sure that you're a piece of that habit.
1: Mm, I love that. What's the best place for people to find you and say hi online? Do you have a favorite way to connect with new folks?
0: I tend to be the most active on Instagram, which you can find me at the the handle is at the joy junkie, but I'm pretty much the joy junkie on all different platforms. Um, and then the kind of the, the hub of all of my work is is my website. You can find all sorts of goodies over there and my podcast and all of that stuff. And that is thejoyjunkie.com
1: and junkie is J-U-N-K-I-E. Well, I will put links to all of that in the show notes. Amy, you're the best. Thank you so much.
0: Wow, well, I had so much fun. And you're right, it
1: flies by And that's our show for today. Thanks so much for listening and for being part of the Real Talk Radio family. Speaking of the Real Talk Radio family, I wanted to give a huge shout out to Adam Day, my producer and sound engineer. Adam created the music for this show, and he makes everything work and flow and sound way better than I ever could on my own. You can find him and his music, which is awesome, by the way, and his sound editing work at adamday.net. And as I said way back at the top of the episode, this is a 100% listener-supported show. The show is made possible by awesome people like Brittany. Hi, Brittany. Hey. You ready to answer five questions?
2: I'm ready. Tell me what you are totally obsessed with right now. I am totally obsessed with, and it sounds so cliche, um, my self-compassion journey that my therapist has encouraged me to to pursue this year. I think that's the best possible answer. <laughs> Thanks. Um, it's been difficult and enlightening, and I know one of the first things I, you th- for me, that I thought when I when I thought self compassion is like, isn't that sort of self indulgent? Isn't that kind of selfish? Um, and she first started me out with this really great um, article by Kristen Neff, the five myths of self compassion, and she actually walks through all of these myths and like the things we tell ourselves and then how we flip that on its head and realize that self-compassion is like actually it's important in our lives because it helps us one take care of ourselves and set boundaries and and generally just be nice to ourselves you know it's sort of like talking to yourself like you would a friend
1: Yeah, I've been thinking about that a lot lately. I mean, not to follow this rabbit hole too deeply, but um, I'm working (laughs) on um, my book about my Arizona trail hike last year. And like one of the themes that's coming up so strongly is this idea of like how to be a good friend to yourself. And I think like what you're speaking to is very much in that vein. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So the next question, when it comes to money, what's one thing that you purposefully don't spend much money on? And then on the flip side, what's one thing that's a totally worthwhile splurge for you?
2: Money or so what I don't spend too much on, um, is honestly, um, like food, <laughs> like I don't, um, indulge by eating out too often, I guess I should say, like, obviously I go grocery shopping. I, I I take care of myself, but I don't, um, I'm not going out to eat a lot. I make a lot of things at home. Um, and then the one thing I will, I will always find money for is books.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Even if it's not there, I'm like sitting and I'm like, okay, so if I, if I pay this here or if I take from there, you know, it it works out. The books Mm -hmm. are bought. (laughs) Totally.
1: If anything were possible, what's one of your big dreams or fantasies?
2: Oh gosh. Um, this is going to be really weird, but I would actually like to, um, go to school to learn to be a mortician. So like, Learn how to, um, you know, prepare uh, funerals and take care of the decedent, and then help the family through, and then orchestrate the funerals and and things of that kind. Can't
1: say anyone's <laughs> ever given that answer to that question before. I, I am here for <laughs> no. your specific honesty. Yeah,
2: <laughs> that's but that's it. Yeah, oh, that's I'm here the for one. <laughs> What's one thing that
1: you would love to do between now and the end of this year?
2: I well, I mean. I, it's it's the thing that i've I've been talking about so much. it's it's going to grad school. So I mean, it's a it's a sure thing. I am going, but it's I started the application process at the end of last year, and it took me all the way through the end of January, and I didn't hear back for weeks. And then you have to do enrollment and financial aid. And it feels like it's just been such a long process. So that's honestly, that's what I'm really looking forward to is um, my first quarter at grad school.
1: And then the last question, what's one specific thing that you wish people were more open and honest about?
2: Wow, I'm sorry. You're stump- you stumped me with this one. <laughs> <laughs> um, because, you know, a few things come to mind. But I, I think the big one is, um, like, the stigma of mental health. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't just apply to things um, that, that you hear. I don't want to say every day. But what you hear frequently, um, people who suffer from anxiety or depression or suicidal thoughts. But I think we also need to consider the flip side of that, where there's... You know, um, anorexia and bulimia are are mental health issues and addiction is a mental health issue Um, and, you know, obsessive compulsive behavior and just and just all of all of mental health as a whole. I think I think I wish people would talk more about that uh, because I think that there are so many stigmas attached to certain mental health issues. that people are either afraid to talk about it or they judge so quickly they aren't willing to listen.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's even, I think that that's really well said that this idea that even as something, like you said, maybe anxiety or depression, you know, become Potentially less stigmatized that that doesn't right. hold true for everything. Like even like in the eating disorder realm, like I think that anorexia is a lot less stigmatized, say, than like binge eating disorder, right? Or like exactly. even like even within the realm of things, like some things become sort of like the golden child of mental health, and then other things get like at the expense of that get pushed further and further down.
2: Yeah, it, yeah, and I, I have to agree. And you know, it seems like. Um, sometimes um, certain issues are almost like glorified and you have to be really careful with how, with how things like eating disorders or addiction um, are talked about. as well.
1: I totally agree. I think that's a great point. So you're a member of our Patreon support squad, which means that you're one of the people that listeners can thank for making this podcast possible since you make a powerful, reoccurring pledge that helps to fund the costs of producing the show each season, for which I'm very grateful. And I would love for you to share two things. First, why you decided to support the show, and then what you love most about being in our little community.
2: I decided to support the show because um, I have been Following you for a really long time, I think one of the very first things I read of yours is when you did um, the ball pit for your birthday. If you remember, <laughs> that was my so,
1: 25th birthday. Yeah, that was yes. 2010. Yeah, it's been a long
2: time. Yeah, so I've been reading for quite following for quite a while. So, um, and I've, I've I've I feel like I've supported you for a long time, and I think the show is so great. Um, I like that it's community supportive. So there's not ads. It's, um, you know, we're taking care of our own, so to speak. Um, And then my favorite part of the community probably is the discussions that are actually had in the, um, in the actual Patreon community group. Um, One specific is you asked people to, you know, talk about one thing that they're celebrating. And so many people had come out with so many different things from you know, starting to run or they got, someone got into a PhD program, you finished your first draft. And it was just really, it was really so great to see and be encouraged by other people. So I really like those small more intimate conversations with other listeners.
1: Yeah. I feel the same way. Wasn't that so awesome. was just a thread of yes. people like bragging in the best possible way. I know that like made my heart happy right? for like three weeks. Yeah, Me so too. Fun.
2: And like, and like the thing and like everyone was just going back and forth like, Oh my gosh, congratulations. Keep us updated. And that's, that was, it was, that was the best part I think.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. Um, so the last thing I will ask you to share is, um, where you live and maybe, maybe like a social media link or something in case folks want to
2: reach out. Oh, sure. Um, I live in Chicago, Um, actually just a couple blocks from Wrigley Field to, to give people an idea. And I only have one social media. I only do Instagram and it's Hey Brittany, H E Y. B-R-T-N-Y. Awesome.
1: Well, thank you. And thanks for joining me for this. And to everyone listening, if you love the podcast, if you want to help keep it going, if you want over 40 hours of bonus content, plus lots of other fun opportunities and extras, just go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of $8 or more for each eight episode season. Honestly, I can't tell you how much that support means to me, and it'll be so much fun to get to know you better after you've joined our community. Perhaps we can even record a future outro together like this one. That would be awesome. So until next time, here's a big virtual hug and a reminder that we're all just doing the best we can, and no matter what, we're in this together.